Hey guys, welcome back to the Work and Play podcast. We are in episode three and we're here with the fabulous Miss Courtney Taylor. Welcome to the Work and Play podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you so having much. me. Thank you for being here. So on the Work and Play podcast, I get a chance to interview my boss friends and get a chance to hear their career journey. And then what does career exploration, life transition, and self-actualization actually mean for you? Mm-hmm. So without further ado, I guess I'll introduce a little bit of how we knew each other, how we actually Mm -hmm. met. So Corey and I met when we both worked at Delta. And the funniest story I can can actually share it (laughs) is... Courtney and I both worked in the dungeon at the time. We were like downstairs in the basement and only a few of us uh, were, you know, women of color actually. And though we had already made a connection, I had passed Courtney in the side, in the hallway and I just passed her, but I didn't know it was her because guys, I have nystagmus. So go ahead, look it up, but my eyes jitter. So when I looked at her, I really didn't see her. So even though I walked past her, Something clicked and said, you know her. I don't turn back around. I turned around and no less than two seconds, Courtney was getting ready to write me off within like three seconds. She was acting funny. That's what I thought. <laughs> like we started together. We were in the same, um, what do you call it? Onboarding class. Yeah. We sat two seats apart, not even three, two seats apart. And you suddenly don't recognize me? I just thought she was acting funny. Yeah. And nobody likes somebody when they're acting funny. I mean, I'm already a Sagittarius, so we come off as like flighty and flaky. And I'm like, that that's just not me. So I literally had to work my way to just continue to prove that I am really a good friend. <laughs> Her turning around saved our entire friendship. It really because did. I was going to be like, oh, you know, at work, you never know who's like consistent or real until... It's time to show and prove. So I just thought she couldn't know me in the hallway amongst other people for yeah. some reason. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's a really good start off point for us to even talk about like work friends and how we even developed our relationship mm-hmm. because a lot of times people don't even know how to develop those those personal relationships at work. Yeah. Um, but before we even get into that, I just think that's interesting for us to t- touch on. Why don't you tell them a little bit about your career? What do you do? Where are you from? Okay. Well, I'm from Atlanta originally. I went to undergrad at Jackson State, hashtag the I love. And I went to grad school at University of Tampa. My degrees are with my, um, have a marketing concentration and I'm a marketer, like career marketer. And all of my roles, I've done different sides of it, whether it's creative management, content management, creation, uh, marketing strategy, business development. So all different types of marketing. And I've worked in quite a few industries. I've worked for um, a hair care startup on the distribution side and worked at Capital One, Amazon, um, one of their subsidiaries, Delta, Piedmont Healthcare. And now I work at Salesforce. That I miss it like I did, but I, I think that's everything. Union Pacific. That's where I did intern there. Well, that's the case. I've also worked at Enterprise, Bank of America, <laughs> like she Macy's Ross. He <laughs> said I've worked in a lot of places then. And I've even done some freelance work, um, marketing strategy work for people uh, with small businesses. That is so cool. So Courtney, we became friends at Delta. And how did you learn that marketing was a good fit for you? How did your how did your career start? Well, a little bit about me. I'm also a creative. You know that now. You guys know that too. Um, but 
I originally wanted to write Super Bowl commercials. When I was growing up, I'm like, I'm going to write commercials for the Super Bowl. Done. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to love it. It's going to be amazing. And I was in broadcasting in um, high school. And then I learned about how sometimes that journey is not as easy as you think. Like, oh, I can go to school for this and get a job. But a lot of the freelance work and how just journalism, like advertising, it's not as, it wasn't as sure of a thing, of a career path Mm -hmm. as um, advertising was, unless you wanted to work for an agency. And I had just heard about like how hard they work in the long hours. And when you're young, you're not like, who sign me up. (laughs) Never. And so I, I decided to go into marketing because I could still have the creative side, but it was the business side of it as well. And I knew that there was always going to be room for the business piece. Like if they figured out how to automate or they decided they wanted to change who actually created the commercials or like whatever type of material, there was still going to have to be a business piece of that. And yeah. I just knew I would have more flexibility and a little bit more stability um, with that. Just growing up how I grew up, stability was very important for me. Um, so I chose a path that felt like less of a struggle, but also allowed me to be creative. And I'm actually kind of glad I did that because just when you, when you're at work and you work in a creative role, sometimes there's still such limits and parameters on your creativity when it's not your company. It's not your product. Like you, when they say, Oh, you're owners, I'm not an owner because I might own the work that you give me, but it's still subjected to what leadership has deemed necessary, the resources that leadership wants to allow, um, and even pushing boundaries. Like That has to be something that leadership approves. So in my career, I've had so many companies that are like, oh, we want to go big. And you get excited because you're like, I get to bring my creativity to work. And and it's more than just the mundane like day-to-day marketing management or content creation because it gets very boring after a while. Yeah. Um, Very templated. But if I had, I guess, a career where I really felt like all of my creativity, like advertisement, where you're really trying to bring all of that, only to kind of get crushed by having to adhere to corporate demands, um, that would have been a little bit more draining than it's been for me previously. Yeah. And it definitely has. But I see a lot of the agencies that we work with, they get so excited in their pump. But then when you go with the idea that's only like slightly different than what you've already been doing, yeah, you you can feel them like kind of, it it chips at them slowly but surely. Mm, Okay. So at at a high level, I understand that your job takes both creativity and business Mm -hmm. and that you are able to put that together with it within a strategy. So one thing I know about Courtney, she differentiates herself as a marketing strategist, Mm -hmm. which is what allows her to think with both left side and the right side of her brain. But if you give us a day in the life of what does it look like to be a marketing strategist? Well, it's really cross-functional. So when... And I've been a content manager too. When you're, when I'm just on the content side, a lot of time I might work with marketing managers and it's more on the execution side. Like how do we execute this to tell the best story visually? Mm -hmm. But when you're on the marketing strategy side, a lot of times you're working with functions that don't necessarily understand everything about marketing. You're working with functions, whether it's number like finance or inventory, pricing, um, merchandising, like all of these different parts of the company. It's very cross-functional because what you're doing is looking at all of these pieces, all of their goals, seeing, 
seeing how they can relate to the to the end customer. Yeah. And what story should you tell? Because it's not just about telling a good catchy story so that they have awareness of your brand or your product mm-hmm. or it actually appeals to them, but it's also making sure that after you bring them into the system that you can meet those demands and those needs on the back on the on the other side. Okay. So a lot of times um people just see it as initially as you getting something out the door in a cool way, but it's it's the full 360 of appealing to you like closing the deal and then managing your expectations so that we can then continue to appeal to you and possibly upsell you along the way. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you're not making sure that I have a great ad. It's saying great things about the product that we know we've tested and it's proven. But then they come into a website experience that's poor. Checkout doesn't make sense. The product isn't available when we say it's going to be. Our shipping processes aren't aligned. And I'm. I, you need to make sure all those things are communicated. And the strategy considers all of this so that you can build the best experience yes. for the customer um, and just maintain loyalty, affinity at minimum. Yes. Okay. I'm following. So from your perspective, when people think creative, one, they think, of course, painting. They think like yeah. of the typical creative. And then when people think marketer, they think, of course, billboards and they think the tangibles that we see. But when you speak about your job, and because I'm a business-minded person, I feel like I follow because I understand distribution channels. I understand profit loss. I understand Mm -hmm. some of the deliverables like coffee and stuff. But it sounds like the creativity that comes into play that a lot of us business-minded people don't have is telling the story. Mm -hmm. Is that, would you say that's what differentiates the marketing it's not just telling the story mm-hmm. because you can tell a story about anything. That's, but it's telling the story considering what's actually real for your company. Cause you can tell a story, but it has to be true. Mm-hmm. You need it. You need to be able to manage those expectations. You can tell a story, but why is it any different from your competitor and the story that they're telling? Okay. You can tell a story, but your indirect competitor who might not be, you know, stealing directly from your pocket, they may have an alternative that works for this problem as well. Why is your story any better or different than what they're doing? It's it's so many different things. Like it's not just about telling a good story, but it's about one finding your place in the market that is going to allow like product positioning, brand positioning. Yeah. Positioning is everything. Okay. And that's the art behind it. I you can't just tell them a good story is fine, but ultimately that story has to matter. That's the other thing. Customer mm-hmm. research. Considering why does this story make sense? Yeah. Like for me, because I'm the one that you want to buy it. Right. And a lot, I find with a lot of brands, they'll tell a good story about themselves and then customers are on the other side like, hmm, that, that didn't do anything for me. Okay. <laughs> so what you do is essentially, okay, again, I'm going back to like the, I hate to use this word, but it's so true. The starving artist, right? The starving artist doesn't necessarily have that strategy piece, that customer, what are the four P's? People, position. No. Oh, see, I'm already. Price. Price. Packaging, promotion. Is it product? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So yeah. what you're, so what you're doing and, and, you know, I think it's really interesting that we're having this conversation because as much as we're going to get into your career journey, but what you do is so cool. For me, it's like, a Rubik's cube because I'm like there's so many different pieces that go into creative what it looks like visually mm-hmm. and then strategically how to get from one point one from point A to point B and then 
from the customer's perspective. And then there's this numbers piece of like revenue and things like that. But this is also the time, 2021 is also the time where people are doing like social media marketing on their own. Yeah. And we talk about how like everybody thinks that they can be a marketer. And I know that there are like, you can look at your analytics on social media and stuff like that. But if you were to make it clear for us, like what does a starving, what does a starving artist not have that you have in a corporation and like how does that like what would it look like if a starving artist or a new influencer or a music person were to take the savvy that you have at a corporate level and then like make it work in their life yeah so what doesn't a starving artist have money and research to play with like i would have that uh, on a on a corporate level or any big company. Mm-hmm. Like I always tell people who are like, oh, you know, being an entrepreneur, I, I, I've never worked for a government owned agency. I only work for entrepreneurs. They happen to be millionaires and billionaires, <laughs> but they started off as entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so they've been able to grow their resources. So this starving artist could eventually grow their resources. People who own their own boutiques and things like that. Mm-hmm. You grow your teams, but you have to be willing to invest. Like me having a job and collecting a payment is an investment in the company. And that's an investment for me. I'm investing my time to be able to help them build something. And they're paying me as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so resources is one, okay. um, including money, which is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like you just have more money and to fail. So you can try a, a lot of stuff and figure out what sticks. Um, I would also say that you just have a, a team. A lot of people like to do things by themselves. And I think they miss the mark because you're not everybody. And nine times out of 10, you're not even your customer. Um, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I would use this and this is what I would want. You're not your only use case. Like, and if you are, then that's a very narrow market. And that's fine if it is like, but you still have to understand that everybody doesn't make decisions in the same way that you do. Like, mm-hmm. yes, customer research will help like refine, like define an audience more specifically. Yeah. But just thinking that we have all the answers behind why a customer will want something is unrealistic. Research helps you with that. P- other people who are building out other parts of the processes and can perfect that, mm-hmm. like help you with that. Mm-hmm. While you're paying attention to being an artist, this person can pay attention to managing the data and the customers that are responding, that are looking at this and readjusting audiences to make sure that you're capitalizing on who you see is paying attention to you most. So you're not wasting your Google Analytics dollars mm-hmm. on everybody when you yeah. see that, hey, if I just target these people, I can at least meet my goal this month and then I'll worry about how I can appeal to maybe another group. Like those are all things that they don't have. However, everybody's not a marketer. They're not. A lot of people can do marketing thanks to automation. Yeah. So there are tools that allow people to be able to market. That doesn't okay. mean that they're a marketer or they're good at it. That means that they can navigate these tools in a way that allows them to have marketing that works for them. Not taking away anything from them, like doing marketing on their own, but it's definitely a skill set. It's definitely different things at different levels, but marketing automation has made it possible for a lot of people to be able to access tools that typically require more resources. So I do think things like um, even the Instagram what Amazon does in their sphere, like if you are selling things in their marketplace, how you can bid and 
target their Google Analytics and search. I do think those are great tools that people can use, especially if you don't have a marketing team. At least you have things that you can get out and something that will help you set up like a campaign. Okay. So I almost lost my thought. So we can all agree that um, automation can really help us as entrepreneurs grow our business from a marketing strategy perspective. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like from an expert, as long, the longer, so we can only do that as long as we need in order to get the resources to get an expert like that. And then so getting, being able to speak with a marketer, an expert to talk through the strategy about, okay, what is the story? Who is the customer? What are these different channels that we're going to be communicating through? All of those different pieces that go within one brain and then outputs a strategy that helps a person month over month over month execute. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what we're saying is use the tools as long as you can and then try to find a team as long, as quick as possible. Yeah. And you know what? I don't want to discourage anybody who does it themselves. It's always nice to have somebody to be able to consult. So even if like somebody for freelance work doesn't want to hire me to do the work, it's still having a session to be able to help think things through. Is smart and not just for marketing. We're talking about business development and accounting to look at your finances. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's like specializes in supplier management and they can help you to understand how you can um, refine your operations so that you can save more money. So it's not just about marketing, period. People have expertise in various areas for reasons, like specific areas for reasons. And it's just unrealistic for someone to think that like, Doing it by themselves is going to get them like you can do a great job by yourself, but think about how much more you could get if you could focus on the piece where you're mm -hmm. most talented and you brought in other talented people to work with you. A lot of people frown down like on that, like smaller businesses and some up and coming entrepreneurs because they're just thinking about splitting the pot. Mm -hmm. But I think about it like this by yourself. What if you can make $3,000 a month? Oh, that's cool. And you're like, well, if I bring somebody else in, I'm going to split that. But if you bring somebody else in and you make $8,000 a month, you're up a thousand. Even if you split it 50 50, which nine times out of 10, you're not, but you're still up a thousand and you didn't have to do twice the work. Right. And just how much more you can grow. And I know finding the right partner is hard, but a lot of people tend to shy away from that. Um, because they're thinking about splitting the pie, but having the right people in place, like a, a marketer mm -hmm. or an accountant or an analyst, as you were, mm -hmm. Just think about how how much are how much do you even see people who are small business owners who are using these tools? How much are they really analyzing their data? Are they just taking what's given to them? Oh, like this is a top post and that's enough. Yeah. But how much like of a deep dive Absolutely. are they missing out on? Like, what else do you yeah. typically find in your career that you felt like enduring deep dives that actually gives you the key to what actually needs to be done next? Mm. Are you asking me? I'm asking. That's a really good question. Because I feel like a mark. You used to be, you know, marketing and data analyst and marketing. So yeah. it's the same thing. I use my data analyst to see what I don't see, yeah. to really chop up stuff and tell a story that it's not on the the surface of the data, because then anybody could do it, right? Yeah. But it's when you look deeper, you're finding correlations that's really giving you the key to that target audience. Yes. And product mix. That you can't just like find by taking doing a quick glance. Absolutely, and not since I since I get to answer a question. Go ahead. <laughs> I will, I will say that 
as a one thing that I have in common with what you're saying is like speaking about business from a macro perspective, I'm so used to that. So whenever I got my first job or anytime the first day on any job that I've ever had as a data analyst, mm -hmm. you walk in with just a plethora of data. Like you yeah. can get into anything about when a customer traveled, what they wore, what or not necessarily what they wore, but how many bags that they have, how many trips that they like you have so much information on one customer. And when I'm looking at like something like social media data analytics, it's such a, it's more, it's a smaller subset of people. Um, and so you have to look at, so it's, I, I lead with more of an intuition because I think a lot of times people do look at that top, that top post data or top hashtag. And then sometimes we just throw things at the wall and just hope things stick. But I think I found a bit of a nuance, for example, with reels. And when, when you're posting reels, sometimes you use hashtags mm -hmm. and Sometimes if you use the same hashtag, you might get um, you might get a certain response versus posting a, a completely different video with the same hashtag, you'll get a completely different response. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I've been able to just be more intuitive about was just noticing, okay, so I'm getting this many um, impressions, 2,000 impressions on one video using the same hashtags as when I get like 700 impressions on using, the like I said, the exact same hashtag. But then you have to look at... It's more, um, with, when it comes to social media for me, this relates back to when I used to think about um, the when we did like split tests on mm -hmm. banners at Delta, and you're thinking about whether you're going to use a picture of like an apricot or you're using like the big words and mm -hmm. the sandwich of like tuna, right? Then you start to think as a, in social media, when I think about when I have text on my little posts versus when I don't, when I have makeup on and when I don't, and then when I'm just speaking versus when I'm doing something funny, I think there's a story underneath the data to say, like, what is catch catching people's eyes? What is making people engage more and send it off a little bit more? Because it's not just the hashtag. It's not just the top post. It's like there's... Some people want the story. Some people want that something that makes them laugh. So I'm really just getting into that part of the data. And what I've noticed is because it's, a, it's so smaller and, it, and I don't have the same like resources as, as I did when I was in a big box, mm -hmm. you know, corporation, I have to be more intu intuitive and then find the tools that I'm, that I'm looking for that tell the story from a data perspective. Yeah. And social media is really hard because a lot of times outside, unless you have a product that people can purchase, like a quick retail product <clears throat> engagement doesn't directly equal dollars like exactly even for some retail companies like that and, and what you see is people have to keep retargeting retargeting is a marketing strategy in itself mm -hmm. like if they looked at this here i'm going to try to reserve it to them strategically in different places whether it's in your speed story whether it's in a banner ad when you're on cnn and you see those shoes that you were looking at from nordstrom's like that retargeting is an, an entirely different strategy as well but it's like if you say time of day data, and I'll use this to make it simple. Time of day and day of the week. So a lot of people say, oh, well, when I post this or go live or whatever at this time of day on these days, I get the best engagement. Well, that's true. But if you looked at the audience, is this audience what you want? Is it mostly female? What age are they? Okay, that's cool. Are they within the region? Okay. If they are, yes. What's their household income or how, how much do they, they per usually purchase this product? Yeah, we get in dimes here. So how likely are they going to, 
like be interested? How, how likely is it that they're actually interested in this? How does this relate to their life? Because so much, so many other things will let you know, yeah, people are engaging, but is this your core audience? And without all of that additional information, you'll keep saying, I'm going to keep posting and going or going live this time of day on this day of week because I get the most followers. And you're wondering why it's not turning into revenue. But it's like that wasn't your target audience in the first place. Mm. Like They're engaging, but there are plenty of people who can engage with a lot of stuff. It's like how many people might come to a store, but they don't actually purchase. They like the store because it's coach and they want to like. Be surrounded yeah. by the brand, mm-hmm. but how many, what, what percentage of customers that walk into a coach or a Louboutin or whatever every day yeah. are actually purchasing like high end boutiques? And if they just went off of, Oh my goodness, all these people were like posting and liking my stuff. And it's like, yeah, some people like it because it's, it's fantastical. I want to be involved or I like this type of talk or I might listen to you because you're a coach and you give good stuff. But I don't ever intend to go to therapy or I don't ever intend to have a coach. I use this as nuggets because I feel like I got enough. So these are just like quick reminders. I like to listen to this, these type of things. Mm. But are these people coming back and using your career, like your career services? Like those are conversion. Conversion Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest things that people tend to miss because everything's about social media and everybody's looking at engagement. Right. But conversion will let you know if you're wasting your time or money Mm -hmm. because sometimes you can do a lot less. And make even more if you're hitting that right audience. Like, then you would save yourself time and money for those people who don't have a lot of money to invest in the first place. I'd rather you use that little bit of money you have in one specific direction where you've identified all of these things that are very important to conversion instead of just being focused on engagement and hope that popularity is going to eventually reap the um, finances or revenue that you have like outlined for yourself for the month. Mm. You know, you speak a lot from the, of course, the like experience standpoint where you know what companies are actually looking for from the social media standpoint. And I don't think we even even touched on that part because you work with influencers as well, right? Mm -hmm. In your last company. So would you share a little bit about what, you know, your like big box companies are actually looking for when they're reaching out to influencers and how they even think about using influencers from a marketing perspective? Yeah. So with influencers, one of the best things that I can say is to be very specific about what you can drive. There's going to be a time where you can demand more. There's going to be a time where the the exposure to a certain brand is going to allow you to do more and flip that to work with bigger brands and get more money later. But you have to be like honest with what is the actual opportunity that you're looking for with yourself. Not Don't be honest with me just yet. You know what I mean? But it's, Hey, are you in a place where you can afford to negotiate or have you been working hard and now me, this big name, you know, wants to work with you, but you decided, oh, I'm worth this. I'm worth that. And it's kind of like, but are you cool? You're worth it. Run me your data. How many people engage and go to the links that you actually send? What percentage of those links are actually to purchase something versus just looking at a list of something that you shop? How many people have actually then clicked on that link and then converted to that sale? And what time frame was that? How many times did you have to repost that? How long did your content, you know, work? Like how long were you, what's the, what do you call it? The life cycle of your content. Mm-hmm. All of these things. I'm going to ask you this. 
How long does it typically take you to turn around a piece of like material? Like, what do you require? What's the voice that you use? What's the tonality? How flexible are you with being able to shift to brand messages? How do you feel about sponsor content? Do you try to make sponsor content feel authentic? Okay, cool. But how many sponsor posts do you typically do a month where people are actually starting to reach fatigue because they don't feel like you're being authentic anymore? And then you let me know what you expect and I'll let you know what I'm going to get. And that's not all of it. And it, it, it's so many things. And it's not like a company is trying to beat you down. I'll pay for somebody that can drive something. Mm-hmm. Like there's time where I just want the message out and there's time where I'm just actually trying to drive something. But I have my goals just like you have to have your goals for yourself. But I'm going to be ready and prepared to talk about what I'm trying to drive, what I'm looking for, the time frame how much I'm willing, like how many flips, if this works out, if there's another opportunity, I'm going to be ready to talk through those things. But you have to be ready to show me your data, to show me what you actually drive. Oh, well, I have this much engagement. Cool. Now, if I look at your total follower account, the number of people that engage with you are this much. All right. I expect 10% is pretty average, but only 10% of that 10% is probably going to, like that watches it, is probably going to maybe like or actually comment. And then 10% of that 10% may then actually go to the link. Curiosity. And then 10% of that 10% may actually scroll and engage and search. But then you also have to think about wherever we're hosting things or wherever you typically drive people to, does that experience align so tightly with my message that I can trust that it's going to convert high? There might You might just be for awareness. I might not be looking to actually drive conversion with you. So I'm not going to be willing to pay you more than the person that I know with one post can drive me X percent in sales. You're just a repeater. You might just be the the person that this person that I know is going to drive the sale or this banner ad that I'm also running through the campaign. These, these other people that I know you follow are reinforcing that message. So it's just constantly crossing your brain, Mm -hmm. but I'm not looking at them as the hammer. That's going to bring me the sale. Yeah. I was just And that's how things a, vary in what a, a brand is willing to pay. Yeah. I, I was not talking to, but I was um watching one of my favorite social media influencers and she was just talking about she was on a live and she was just talking about how a company offered her like a position on TV and they wanted her to do like, you know, some type of spotlight and she said, Okay, cool, what are the terms? And they said Um, Well, you get exposure and we, you know, whatever they got. Right. And she felt like it wasn't a fair deal. So what you're speaking to right now is funny because like in the entrepreneurial world, everyone talks more about our authenticity and then understanding what we want to get from like our pages as as um, influencers. But then you also give us a perspective of what corporations are looking for and how their strategy is either awareness Mm -hmm. or conversion whether it's sales or do they want to just have you know, a person of color on the banner? And is that really a strategic move on funding or the bottom line rather, or is it just like for like awareness or um, social capital or, you know, uh, social, social responsibility. Right. So I think you just really tied up a lot of the other side of the veil when it comes to some of these larger influencers who want to start to create those relationships with corporations and they don't necessarily know how. Now, if you follow my social media, you know I'm more of a mini influencer and my engagement is seriously on the, it's on my reach, guys. So, and I do aspire to get to a place where 
I'm having those handshakes with corporations. But I think what you just did was gave the game to a lot of influence who are influencers who are out here with 171k followers, and they don't know how to convert their profile of their like current business to something that creates a lasting relationship with the company. Yeah, you know, and I'll also say this. Sorry, my bones are old. I keep shifting. But ask for what you want. People get offended and it's like, okay, I'm not giving you more than you ask for out the back all the time. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh no, but I'm going to give you this even though you you only wanted 1,500 a post. I'm going to give you 3,000. Why? Like, why? If you ask me, if you tell me what your, your, you cost and I say, yes, I'm willing to meet your rate. Cool. But I've had people, I've had somebody with less followers ask me for more than somebody with more followers. And I gave it to them because it was in my budget. That it wasn't an issue for me. If I give you what you ask and I, and a lot of times the companies will ask, what are your rates? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not even just about how much we're willing to pay. Yeah, if this is my budget and this is what I have, then we're going to have to work with it. If you can't work within that, I get it. That's much respect. But it's a money game on my side, just like it's a money game on your side. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to drain all my resources. And here's the thing. Like, a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, and they might not know it's me, a woman of color. I'm not discriminating. I'm giving you what you asked for. I'm not now... Now, where are you supposed to find out how that you can ask for more? That's not the company. That's not on the company. But what I will say is. That's not on the company. I'm not the person that like, I'm not going to host a influencers thing to say, you guys should get more money because it varies. And there's not a formula. Just like we could do the same job and not get paid the same thing based on the company we work for, based on the industry, based on the region, Mm -hmm. based on a lot of different things. And Everybody doesn't drive the same. We can have the exact same job title. Both be black women be the exact same age with the back, black, I mean, same background. The way I think and the way that you think are not the same. How our audiences respond to us are not the same. We can both have 10,000 likes on a post, but she can drive 5,000 people to actually sales and I can drive 200. Like it's not, it's not apples to apples. And a lot of times you don't have those background data links that like to know whether somebody's playing you or not compared to how much they pay somebody else. This is not speaking specifically to the gap, the wage gap and equality issue when it comes to people of color versus white people. And I hate saying people of color because it's not everybody in the world but white people, but black people and white people are Asians and everything else. Like I know there's an issue as far as discrimination, discriminatory pay, but I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to people that are even within the same communities that just ask for different things and knowing your worth is, is just like self-esteem when it comes to social media, like your social media esteem should be like, mm-hmm. let me ask for this. It's like, if somebody asked you for your first speaking gig and sent you their rates and you say you wanted this much, right? Cool. And they were like, cool. Come to find out they paid somebody else $25,000 and you only asked for $500. You would feel some type of way. It's about that. You would want to be up in arms and everything else. It's like, but that's what we didn't offer them that, Mm -hmm. you know, or you might say, Hey, this is my budget in my budget. And a lot of times I'll be like, okay, I can afford three mid tier influencers, five micro influencers and one macro influencer. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I know how much I'm like this one costs mm-hmm. and I'm going to get the money to pay this one because I also know what that's worth on the other side, but everything else is flexible. So Courtney, how would someone who is a mi- micro, I don't want to say micro, mezzo, or macro, but what is it? Micro, medium? I would say mid-tier, like mid-tier. a mid-tier influencer, micro influencer, and macro. How would someone start that relationship with a corporation or do they just need to wait for the corporation to reach out to them? It's not always just the corporations and that's the thing. Um, a lot of times we might use agencies and a lot of social media influencers when they get a little bit bigger, they do have agencies that they work with that can connect into things. Um, what I would say is it's about making sure your discoverability is high. So depending on the co- different companies that I've worked for, like, how do I even come across you on my own? Sometimes it's about I came across somebody and I'm like, hey, let's reach out to them. And I've actually used some of those people before that I came across or some of the people on my team came across. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's dope okay. because they align. It's mm-hmm. not like it, it's hard to say. And I have had people who reached out to me, um, people who reached out to me and they have a good plan and proposal but it's so specific to something that I may have already done. I'm likely not to go with those people because I've already got a plan for that. So show some flexibility. Okay. So if you are going to reach out, show some flexibility, but also have some really great data analytics. I think if you are coming up, focusing on making sure that you understand your audience and you can convert, like if you're a micro influencer that can convert well, I would spend money with you because I could probably afford to do more with you to get the same results um, as I would with having to spend much more with the macro, like depending on how well you can convert. So engagement is great, but I would also make sure that I'm not, I think, oh, get your followers up, get your followers up. That's what everybody always hears. Right. But if your followers don't convert, like, psh- that means that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just popularity. And then you're going to be subject to people saying, Oh, it's great exposure. If that's what the numbers that you're giving me, then in my head, that's what you care about because you're telling me about how many followers you have and how many people engage. Cool. How many people convert? Oh, well, I really don't track that. All right. Then. So if I, exposure is what matters to you, cause that's how you get your other brand deals mm-hmm. by more people. Um, following you and more brands being aware of you. So if I offer you a great opportunity. That should say a lot for your bottom line. It does. And Mm -hmm. now if you say, hey, I require a little bit more, then let me know what you require. I might be willing to meet that too. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's negotiable. Just like they tell us with our salary. Like I'm not saying that some people don't come up with offensive things, but that's just not the company that you should work for. But it's, we have bottom lines to meet just like you do. Yeah. You gave us a really good glimpse of the fact that even though we talk about like comp, uh, corporations as, you know, big box corporations, there's usually a face behind any of these opportunities and deals that we make. Mm-hmm. And you give us a glimpse that there are people of color on all sides of this game and you have to be strategic outside of thinking about race. I think that's the most powerful thing about like the movement and how in America everything is so race sensitive. But when you're talking about a black influencer and a black corporate employee who makes the decisions, that takes away some of that bias and it just levels the playing field for us to just talk about numbers. And so I just can't, I can't wait till I get into a place where like 
I'm able to use some of the savvy that I have from a data perspective because I'm, I'm going back and watching this episode and I'm taking notes and I'm like, okay, clicks, uh, where's my links? What's my conversion? Do I have a backlink? Okay. Website. I hope y'all were catching that too. Cause I, I was over here taking notes. Uh, <laughs> let me say this. People that look like you being on the other side may not always help you. Like everybody's not, you know, some people stray away from working with their own because they don't want to be seen as biased or they have the same like negative thoughts about their own, just like other people might. Like it's not, it's not perfect. And I hate that it's like that. For me, it's mostly like if ultimately I have to do my job, it's what can I drive? However, inclusivity, like that's how I think, period. So, and that's a part of who I am. You know me outside of even my career. Right. So, you know, I'm always going to, I'm always going to think like that. And plus, when I know who the end customer is, if it's a diverse group of customers, I'm going to make sure that I'm serving people messages through influencers, like, or visuals that they can connect with. Like, Absolutely. that's just, that's just smart business. And I will say, I don't want all, any of this to discourage you guys. There is a lot of power that you guys do hold. But I just want everyone to be able to leverage the tools that would allow them to be able to negotiate things more in their favor. Um, it's very competitive out there in the influencer space. And you don't want it. I don't want it to seem like well, what you won't do, somebody else will. But I will say is you never know the information that somebody else is coming with. Like at least make sure you're pulling the tools and the levers like that you have available to you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to even the playing field between you and someone else that might be your competitor, whether they're your equal in gender, race, sexuality, whatever, or not. Yeah. Now, then if you see some funny stuff, we can call it something else. Okay. And like, let's not play like that doesn't exist. Yeah. But you do have a lot of power and there are a lot of things that are untapped where you don't have to be racing to have the highest number of followers. But can you ultimately accompany this? Can you make can you make me money? Absolutely. Can you make me money? One thing that I would just to bring everything together and how you mentioned, like so even though we talk about like this this macro strategy, you started at the first of all, your self-esteem is just like your social media esteem. And then when you go into from your self-esteem, when you go into a job interview, you have to come with all of the facts about what your career has led up to. You have to come with the data. And then when you go into a negotiation, when you're negotiating your salary, you have to bring back the facts and you have to bring back the research to tell them that this is why the salary, this is why the salary I'm asking for is substantial. I mean, it's, it's um, absolutely. And I think what you just did for us was turn because this social media influencer is new. But it's also their social media esteem Mm -hmm. and the way that you come. Of course, we're shedding, of course, a little bit of our personal selves, which ties into bringing the data behind that Mm -hmm. social media story, which allows you to go into any discussion and lay out what your parameters are. Take it or leave it. But it allows you to walk away from the table, not feeling like you've depleted yourself, not feeling less than. You just know that it wasn't a strategic play for the company and it was not a strategic play for you. Yep. I, that's, that's really what it is. And that's Mm. why I do like, even though I am a creative, I really do love strategy. Mm. Just really being able to understand, not just like, I'm just this big numbers person, but being strategic, even about the story you tell, like it, it, it gives you more of an aim. Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just like, here, this is what I have laid out on the table. 
But like, not only what direction are you heading in? What story do you have to tell? And how does that apply to me? Or how can I make that apply to you? How does this turn into this, 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 and that? And then how does it support other pieces of the organization? And so going back to your earlier question of like, just being a marketing strategist, I'm supporting other teams of the organization. I work to make more than just one uh, person's goals come true. Like it's all aligning to the business bottom line. But when I'm working, I'm seeing how I can take a cross-functional team, find common goals that can be driven by marketing because everything isn't a marketing problem to solve. Um, and then working to create a plan and communicate that to the creative team. Okay, this is what we need to do. This is the messages, the messaging, this is the positioning. These, these are the customers. These are the channels that we need to be in. This is the spend. This is the time. These are the places. And then that creative team says, all right, now we're going to create visuals that, um, or an experience that aligns with that. Mm. It's, it's really just about considering all. And that's what I really do like about strategy. It's, it's kind of like just being a person in relationships, being strategic about how you approach a conversation, being strategic about how you show you care. Like, is it just how you want to go about it and what you think looks like care? Or is it what the other person is considering to be care? And is now the time? Are they in the mood? Mm-hmm. Is it going to resonate with them? Like, do they have so much going on <laughs> and you feel like, well, I said it, it should have hit, but it didn't because there are other things that are going on. Strategy is everywhere. And that, and it's, that's all, that's all like I do is make sure that I'm considering all so that the end customer is going to be someone that, you know, is going to find us as, a valuable option, whoever I'm working for at the time. Mm. Courtney, you are a powerhouse. And I know from a book. That's so sweet. You literally are. And as a businesswoman, I so admire you. Like as just as a businesswoman, as a woman of color doing what you do, as a person who's found their like unique qualities and then made their way in corporate America. I think that is such a respectable thing. And then keep yourself in intact. I think a lot of times we lose ourselves mm-hmm. um, when we don't know what our self-esteem is and when we can't like learn like how to navigate. So I'm just curious, who's the woman behind the powerhouse? Like who's the, who's the woman that fuels that powerhouse and how'd you get to where you are? I know you went to an HBCU, so I think it is really important that we bring that back. Um, but give us a little bit about your story. Where'd you come from? So I was born in Decatur, raised in Decatur in East Atlanta, like zone six. Went to school in South Atlanta. My family, you know, when your parents get divorced, you kind of like bounce around. Um, but I would say, especially going to Cleveland Avenue, which is in South Atlanta, I, it was big for us because we had a, like, we had this gifted program and we did so much. But how old were you when your parents were, di- were divorced? Mm, maybe 98, 96. Okay. And you were, okay. Somewhere in the maybe ninety six. I can't remember. I was young. I was in elementary school. Got you. Okay. And so you said we, you know, you bounced around. I was like, wait a minute. For a lot of us, don't necessarily know what that experience looks like. And yeah. I, I would imagine that it create. It sounds like that creates a bit of a foundation for strategy because now you have two adults to navigate with, navigate oh. between. I never thought about it like that, but you do because you would end up getting in trouble. 
<laughs> because my parents' schedule was every other day, every other weekend. So you would wake up at one person's house and they would send you to school and you would be sleep at another person's house. And they did not live in the same county after they got divorced. Mm-hmm. So that was horrible because you're only going to school in one county. But you're going back across two counties every day, essentially, whether it's the morning or the afternoon. Um, yeah, so it was terrible. So you have to be strategic about making sure, like, where were you going to keep certain things? What were you going to bring? Like, just all of these different things. So every other day, every other weekend. But one of the things I would appreciate about my upbringing just at Cleveland Avenue is, and, and then my family, you know, we're very much into, you know, Black excellence. And it's not like we're like rich or anything like that. So I don't mean monetary, um, but just in like refining your talent and excelling in that space. Now, like it, it takes somebody to nurture that. And Cleveland Avenue was a great place because you just got to be. Like you got to, they they had so many things where we did so many tests. Like we used to do ink block tests. We used to play chess. We used to have special arts programs and all these things like give speeches at City Hall and do all of these things where they really got to be in the symphony. Like we really got to experience so much. I think a lot of schools do that, but sometimes it's just not as easy these days. They were able to hone in and like dig a little deeper into those things. So like for me, I was actually in the special arts program. Like after there was a certain level of interest and talent um, and you know, that's the responsibility of my parents because they're the ones who have to dedicate the extra resources, whether it's time, schedules or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate them for that because, you know, that's what really got me started in my creative journey. Um, my dad is um, was an artist and like musical and everything else, too. Mm-hmm. So you do get it honest, but he never pushed anything on us except for basketball. <laughs> so <laughs> what was that like? Even though you were in this creative space, how did basketball play a part in like your childhood? My dad's from North New Jersey and they play basketball. Like that's them doing nothing. Like, Oh, what you do? Like nothing. They'll be at the court shooting. Okay. So just basketball and being athletic is just like a big thing in my family. Like my mom, okay. track and cheerleading. My, even both of my grandmothers were on the basketball team. So they didn't want you to become like an NBA star. They just said, no, you need to learn this skill because we've been doing this as a children. And this is like a staple in our family. Um, I don't, It's not a requirement to be a star. Sorry, I have to shift one more time. <laughs> It's not a requirement. <laughs> it's not a requirement to be a star. It's just, you know, sports teach you a lot of things about teamwork, you know, just being able to excel in physical strength also teaches you a lot about your mental. Mm-hmm. It's healthy. Yeah. And they just believe in being active. Like you don't have to go to the top, but you were going to be involved in some type of physical activity. Yeah. Okay, so the physical was just a part. It was just balance. I mean, and it's who we are. Like yeah. we are a, an athletic family, mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like it fits you. They they lean into whatever wherever you're talented. They lean in. Okay, but we were just able to build a lot of confidence in a lot of different ways because our parents really took to and leaned in where they saw that we were naturally talented. That's good. And so one of the the best things that I one of the best things about um. My last company was, you know, they really try to focus on your strengths and they call them superpowers, which I don't think is like a, a new term. But instead of crucifying you or 
making you have magical, out of nowhere performance issues for weaknesses that they said that nobody should have in this space. It's like, where are you good? Like, where are you strong? And we can get the most out of you where you're strong. And if that space exists here, let's lean into that. Now, if some of the things that where you're weak are causing performance issues so where you're strong is not able to like basically cover the weaknesses, then yeah, you need to refine some of those things. But our parents were able to do that. Really look at where we're strong, where our superpowers were, where we excel, like writing. Like I used to be in like poetry contests and things like that. And you know, I'm a writer. Like those are just things that we do. Um, at musical, my older brother used to do that. Like it, it's just, that's just kind of, you know, our, our thing, our legacy. Like we're very, my parents are very, and their families are very sure about who we are as people. Um, our background, even the things that, not necessarily that we're proud of, but it, it is what it is. Like it's very honest. And so it, because it's very honest about even the bad stuff, it's kind of like, now what? This is what it is. And this is like, and this is how you move forward. Those things just allowed us to mm. constantly have momentum where we weren't being held back by anything. Mm. Um, and we didn't have the like prized upbringing, but we weren't being held back by anything because we were always sure of who we were for better or worse. Courtney, you, it just hit me like when you said your upbringing. Well, one, I was going to say you have like a whole self-actualization childhood upbringing that a lot of us don't get. A lot of times people get 40 years old and they still don't know who they are, what they're gifted at. So it's such a blessing that your family cultivated that for you. But what you just said, and I'll repeat it for you. We could replay it. But you said um, the way that you are, you guys were in the family, it, it's not that you just kind of ignore things that were trying to hold, hold you back. You just knew how to handle it and then move forward. And when we met, we were both in different points in our career where our, my, our relationships with, with corporate was... Mine was starting to develop in terms of understanding how do I keep my self-respect and my self-awareness and keep my corporate job at the same time. But you were always so sure of how to navigate. And it just hit me in this moment. One, you have this huge business acumen. Two, you have this very well-developed childhood. And everybody has their experiences, right? But you had this this childhood that watered you and, and kind of nurtured you and the different things that were good about you so that you brought that stuff to your, your womanhood as mm -hmm. an adult. And then when I met you, you had this very keen sense on how to navigate corporate politics and then even use the system for what it set out to do. Not let yeah. it hold you back. Just take the hit and move forward. But also let's remind or mm -hmm. tell people I was on probation at like my first big job and I hadn't even been there a year. And that really hit me hard because when you do have a level of assurance about yourself, when somebody's telling you that you're not good enough, it's almost like you don't understand or, you know, there's something that's wrong. And I was trying and trying and trying and emotionally it took a toll on me because I just felt like I was failing and I had worked so hard to get there. So it's like, no matter how hard you work, you still can find yourself in a place where you don't belong or you want to belong and they don't think you fit. And that really, it took me back a minute 
And then they propelled me forward. Mm. And my family was there every step of the way. Cousins, uncles, like grandparents and everything else to remind me of who I am and to also say it is okay if it does not work. And I think I told somebody this maybe last week, but out of all of the companies in the world, every single, any company that you decide you want to work, like where you want to work, I'm a point to these five and I'm just supposed to naturally fit in. It's just supposed to work Mm -hmm. because I decided that I wanted to work there and they decided they wanted to give me an opportunity. And that's not always true. And it doesn't mean that something, sometimes there are things that where you can really improve. And I've been there. But that doesn't always mean that it's a true performance issue and mm-hmm. you need to be on probation. Mm-hmm. But then there are other times where it's, it's, you're not a fit and it's that constant struggle. Like I said, it's just like a relationship. It's that you're not bad. I'm not bad. There's nothing wrong with us individually. Mm-hmm. But in order to make this work, we need different people in place. Yeah. And it can be like that in a career too. And once you understand that, and also understand how disposable you can be and not necessarily because, oh, I just don't care about people like as a company and a lot of companies don't, but is the business is the bottom line. Like that's the purpose and the reason why we're here. Yeah. So if it's not serving the business, you got to go. Well, if it's not serving me, I got to go. And after I tried and gave my best to something and they still were willing to release me and I let that take me, like take me back, I had to remind myself of, If it's not working for them, then it's not working for me either, obviously. Like, and that just gives you, that puts me in a place where I'm like, I need to be mindful of not just do they like me? Do do they want to be with me as far as the company? Like, I'm going to be the best I can regardless of how they treat me. No. Do we work for each other? This This is barter. Yes. You paying me doesn't make me any less valuable than you. Because guess what? I'm providing you with the service. If I wasn't providing you with the service, would you be paying me? No. This is a barter. So it needs to work on both sides. So after going through the experience, no matter how much of a childhood I have where somebody gave you identity, my family's great. And when I was going through that, it was great to have them, but it didn't stop me from going through that. It didn't stop me from being on probation. It didn't stop me from trying my hardest and being told, oh, well, I really appreciate you fixing this, but now this is a problem. It's like, I just could not get ahead. It was like, what is going on? And that shook my confidence because at the time, success and excellence, I thought was um, that status, you know, equated to self-esteem in so many ways for me. So I had to learn how to separate like how I let other people assign that to me. Um, and having a family where, you know, they are who they are for better or worse did not stop me from going through that, feeling some type of way and still having to realize that I can't let a position define who I am. Like that's, it's just not good enough. This is so, this makes my heart just kind of flutter because I'm such a person, I'm such a person person personable person I lead with my heart and I had to learn that part growing up in corporate America and I had to kind of learn how to not just uh, play to people who like me but also bring the numbers back it up Mm -hmm. and then know when it's not a good fit for you and then if it's not a good fit for the company don't let that you know kind of uh, knock your own personal uh, personal self-esteem so wait one thing on that Mm -hmm. but it's like it's not good. We we always worry about failing companies, mm-hmm. but these companies fail us. Absolutely. But that's okay because they're the ones dishing out the check. 
And that's when we have to really sit back and say, like, I get it. Sometimes you can't afford to like lose a job, but overall, like how much is it worth you staying in this space? Can you be strategic about how to plan your next move? Or while you're here, and that's what my career has been about, like, as I've moved, what can I get while I'm in this space? Because I might have to go. Like, that's what it is. Like, I might not be here, but while I'm here, like, I don't believe in any time wasted. Say that, girl. Like, because then what? What am I going to say that I did with my time while I was in this space? Like... Nothing, even if it's like, oh, it doesn't look like that big of a jump from my last job. Well, I'm about to get creative and see how I can find something that I can flip into something else. Mm-hmm. Because companies, they might fail us. And we it's about time that we stop worrying about if we're good enough for them. Are they Absolutely. good enough for us? Absolutely. There's so can many I get a high five, please? Just, just, wait, let, <laughs> we missed. <laughs> I mean, just, I'm just saying. Um, but are they good enough for us? Yeah. That's the big thing. It's so many companies out there. And there, there can be a company for everybody. But it's really hard to find. Like, how do you find that when we become so obsessed with, is this company a big name? Does everybody know it? Because that's going to make us think that this is a better company to work at. Mm -hmm. Mm There are small companies that you've never heard of, big companies that you've never heard of that could be perfect for you, Mm -hmm. but they're not always easy to find. And I'm not saying that you should leave your job. I'm not saying you should stay. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is that don't be afraid to keep searching for something that serves you back. Like, if it's like, oh, I just want to work this so I can pay for travel or start my business and everything else, then make sure you're being strategic and working a job that's not going to stress you out where you can't, you don't have it in you to travel. You don't have the time or when you don't have the mental capacity to actually um, give back to your business. Absolutely. So it's just different things, you know, make sure it's serving you above all, Absolutely. like everything. Mm-hmm. And that will, I think, give you peace, sanity, and it also give you that esteem that you need at work and say, I don't have to fit in every, I might not, this might not work for me. I tried it and it's not a fit, but why are you supposed to do everything? That's just unrealistic. Yes, and do is. you really want to do everything? No, <laughs> I don't even want to wash the dishes and cook. It's like one or the other. I'm trying to tell you one thing that you just said, you have to keep searching. And one thing that I promote is that like when you have these like, um, design your life discussions. Mm-hmm. You have to go out there and talk to people. You have to go out there and test out different jobs, Absolutely. different companies. Don't be married to certain things unless it's a good marriage. And that's, that goes for relationships and it goes for companies. Yeah. So one thing that you talked about with, when it comes to like, are we wasting our time? Okay. How do we spend your, your play time? So when we worked at Delta, we got a chance to mesh work and play. Yeah. When it came to like us traveling. Mm-hmm. The first time Cordy and I ever traveled, we went to Chile. <laughs> Is that the first time? I think that was... No, 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 no. Where did we go? That was when it was just us. Wait, what was the first time we... What's the first trip we ever went on? I think we went to Puerto Rico. No, that was with uh, such and such. And we had already traveled by ourselves. It was Chile because I was... That was the first time I was like, Courtney! And we literally were by ourselves. (laughs) Courtney! That's what it was. Courtney! Sorry, guys. It was a horrible nickname. (laughs) But... Since we no longer work for an airline and we don't necessarily work, work, mix work and play that way, how do you get a chance to enjoy your job while you're doing what you're doing? So in my last company, I wasn't. My last company, it it almost took me out. I wasn't on probation, um, but just what it required, it required so much of me mentally that 
And I, and I just felt like I couldn't get a handle on it. I don't think it was a good fit for me at all. And that's why I sought employment elsewhere. And I really, it took away from my playtime. But for people who are like working for a big name or, and they pay well. So that's another thing. I can understand why you might find yourself in that space. But for me, it took so much life out of me where I didn't have it in me to want to even do these other things. So it slowed down a bit there, um, but it was a good pivot company. It allowed me to reset like kind of like my past and my skill set. So that was a little bit of the sacrifice. Um, but typically, you know, I still tra- like to travel with you um, and some of our other friends, but I like to do outdoors things like, um, I'm a creative, so I still like to create. And I don't know. It's like when somebody asks you what you like to do, I, I can't get it out. I, I like, I'm not boring, but what, what am I doing? I have a good time though. Like I like to you, I'm very much of a village person. So I love being around my people and their people. And just cause we, we're constantly learning and enjoying each other and doing new experiences because we're not just in our own bubble. Like even if it's a village and it feels like a bubble, we still have so many of exposures to other people and other things that we're constantly bringing it back to each other and like feeding each other. Yeah. You know, because we're in episode three and the work and play, the work and play podcast is in its infancy. Mm-hmm. I'm still getting the gist of what work and play means to my guests. Yeah. So when you think of work and play, what does that actually make you think of? Well, work and play to me ideally would be like a little bit more overlap. I don't have that. Like there's not, or I haven't, I've had that previously. So like when I was traveling a lot for work, I was fortunate enough to travel to cities that were actually kind of cool. So I got to like establish relationships there. I, either my family lived in a lot of these places too, and I had some friends. So I was able to use those work trips to actually stay engaged and experience life with people that I actually cared about with experiences that I wouldn't have with, I was always just in Atlanta and I had to like use my own money and time and we had to do a lot of other stuff to see each other. Especially when you're going out of town and you have your own hotel room, that makes it a lot easier to see people and just swing through because then they don't have the pressure of, oh, I got a host. I got to like get this stuff together and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it really allowed me to enjoy other people. Like I lived in that city um, in a really fun way in various different cities. But now because like my job isn't overlapping in that way and I'm not necessarily doing right now like oh if I had this super dream job I don't think they overlap as much what I do is try to learn things at work one that affords me a salary to be able to afford to pay for how I like to play um but, <laughs> like I think did they <laughs> but the other thing is is that I'll typically learn something that adds value to what I'm doing outside of work or trying to accomplish or what my friends are doing so like some of the advice or things that I've given you is things that I've learned on the job. So it's like what I know. So I'm big on like sharing knowledge, but they don't overlap as much a lot. Right now, my work is to pay for play and how I like to live my life. But I mean, even if I was doing what I love, I don't know if work would always be so much fun that I would actually call it play. Mm. You know, what? when I think about work and play, and an instance that feels like overlap to me in your life, 
is when you were interviewing for your your new company. And we haven't even shared, like, we're going to have to have a part two. But when you got a chance to call your brother to talk through creative ideas to put into your presentation. Mm-hmm. And when I think about, like, work and play overlapping in your life, I'm just curious if there's appetite or room for more creative discussions outside of the Salesforce, you know, workplace. And then because you're remote, because you're remote, I just feel like, you get a chance to create the creative environment that you want. So I'm curious if, if like on a Monday you're painting, you know, a painting and at the same time you're thinking of a marketing strategy over here or if you're getting that creative energy from like a conversation and you're using that yeah. to inform your work. So I would say my podcast probably is one of those places where what I experience at work, I can bring back to my podcast and talk about a lot more. Mm, tell us more. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> so I have a podcast called Spike Sugar because um, I'm sweet, but I might be spiked with various different types of spices and things um, and moods. Um, but really, it's just people like telling the story of certain topics, people and things. It's there's a variety. It's no one. It, it's an overthinkers podcast. That's what I call it. Because, you know, sometimes you have things in your brains and thoughts that you just need to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I'm big on sharing experiences because I've learned so much from other people sharing theirs. And I always say, I didn't go through what I went through on this earth just to, just to have that as my own pain or lessons. So I share it because it can very much help other people just like other people's stories have helped mine. And I think, and that's what I hope to accomplish with my podcast. It's an overthinkers podcast where people can really go in deep about a specific topic. Um, and share their thoughts and their experience according to their own story. Um, and basically bless other people to be able to relate or be entertained depending on who we have on. Mm, I love it. Y'all need to tune in to Spike Sugar because it's actually a really good, even though they're overthinking, but like we think about these nuanced topics and they really do require some attention. So I think that it would definitely be a good listen. I've had some folks say like, oh my God, when is another podcast episode coming out? So maybe after this, by the time this launches, maybe we'll have another episode of Spike we Sugar. And I will put that in the link below. Um, but before we head out, okay. I'm just curious. So we have gone through the foundation that makes the powerhouse woman that we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. And then we've also talked about the strategy that it takes to make your job what it is and then make you be able to make these big deals in the world. I mean, and then we also kind of talked about how strategy plays a part in just like you navigating workplace politics and then keeping your self-esteem. So that's like chapter one, two, three, four, who, who knows, but what is the next chapter for Courtney Taylor look like? For me, it's just about really understanding like, what am I going to do with everything that I've gained so far? And then that's it. Like, how can I make use of it? Outside of just having a career, but whether it's entrepreneurial or creative, but making sure that I'm not wasting those experiences. Like, how can I bottle all that stuff up and then turn it into something that is either useful for my village with with community service, useful for my creative projects, um, or just like can be turned into an additional business. Now that I have the space and time, because I'm out of that old job where it just drained a lot, but I learned a lot. Um, so now it's just kind of like, well, I went through all of this, but it's not for anything. So what's next? I don't know. But I'll let you guys know when I figure it out. 
and we will have her back on the Work and Play podcast so that we can do this. Maybe over some like popcorn. We'll kick our feet up a little bit and continue having this discussion as long as it's some carrots. <laughs> okay, then. you have carrots, I'll make some little vegan popcorn because you know how to do my little stove top. But thank you guys so much for listening. Again, I'm Arielle, your host of the Work and Play podcast, and we have Miss Courtney, Courtney Taylor. Before we head out, Courtney, how can they find you? Oh, Courtney from 88 is my Instagram. Um, and I think that's basically, I'm not an influencer, so that's all I got. <laughs> well, catch Courtney on the next podcast. We will definitely be having her back soon. Y'all have a wonderful day. Peace out. Bye.